number 3. Revelation chapter number 3, verse number 14. After you've arrived there, I want you to direct your attention back up here for a moment. This be the most important announcement I made for someone this year. All of you ladies, I want you to take your hands and do like this. Are you missing a ring? You left it in the restroom. I'm going to sell it to the highest bidder. (laughs) It's a really nice ring. It's sparkly and gold and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, it has some stones on it. (laughs) I told you it was an important announcement. If you'll see me afterwards, I'll sell it back to you. Revelation chapter 3, chapter 14. Tonight we come to the end or the last of the seven letters that John wrote to the seven churches of Asia Minor. Let me just give you a summary of the warnings that the Lord had to warn to each of these churches about. The first church, the church of Ephesus, he warned them about their lost love. The church of Smyrna, he talked to them about their fear of persecution. Pergama, he talked to them about sexual scandal. Thyatira, he talked to them about the tolerance of false teaching. Sardis, he talked to them about resting on their past. Philadelphia, he talked to them about limited resources that they have and now At Laodicea, he talks to them about the danger of apathy brought on by materialism. A man was once asked to define the two things he thought was wrong with the church, big C, the church of today. His response was, I don't know and I don't care. The questioner replied, thank you, you've given me exactly what the two things are that are wrong with the church today. Have you ever noticed that most of us feel uncomfortable around someone that seems to love the Lord more than we do? Vance Havner said the situation was like this. He said, in the 20th century, most of us have become so subnormal in our Christian life that when someone comes along and begins to act normal, we label them as abnormal. He's saying that most Christians as a whole... have backslidden to the point that if a normal Christian comes along and starts acting like a normal New Testament Christian ought to, then we point our finger at them and we say they're crazy or they're a fanatic. And probably the reason is that most Christians have developed the problem that he is talking about here in the church of Laodicea, the problem of lukewarmness. He says in verse number 14, And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot, so then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say I am rich, And have become wealthy and have need of nothing. And do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire 
that you may be rich in white garments, that you may be clothed. The shame of your nakedness shall not be revealed. Anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. And as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. And to him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I have also overcome and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now the city of Laodicea was located about 100 miles due east of Ephesus where the letter started. You may remember that we talked about it a little bit that this is that there was the likelihood that this was a circular letter intended not only to go to that one church, but each letter intended to go to all seven churches in turn, and that it was part of a postal system. We don't really often think about there being a postal system in ancient Rome, but there was. Uh, This city was characterized by four things. Sometimes the reason we find it so difficult to to understand the book of Revelation is we think, well, I don't understand what they're talking about. They're talking about ISAV and and white garments and all this stuff. I really don't understand the significance of those things. Well, if we begin to look at the city that each of these is written to, then we begin to understand why those things have certain meanings to that city. This city, the city of Laodicea, is characterized by four things that the Lord will make reference to in this letter. First of all, to its wealth. It is a wealthy city. It, just like the city before it, had been destroyed by an earthquake. But rather than allowing the Roman emperor and the Roman empire to help them to rebuild, they shrugged it off and said, we don't need your help. We've got plenty of our own funds. We can take care of ourselves. We're going to pull pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps, and we're going to take care of ourselves. So they're a very wealthy city. Secondly, they were known as a fashion center, a garment center. It had a flourishing uh, clothing industry. They raised a particular breed of black sheep, and the glossy black wool was woven into a special kind of clothing that was sold only here. And third. It was famous for its eye salve. It was known throughout that region uh, for a salve that they had for particular eye treatments. And the third problem that they had was problems with drinking water. The archaeologists have discovered the Laodicea did not have a good local water supply because it infiltrated with calcium carbonate content, which resulted in it being impure and anemic. I didn't know what that word meant. I had to look it up. It means to cause vomiting. So if you drank the water that came from their source, it made you throw up. Therefore, they brought water from the neighboring cities through aqueducts, the cities of Colossae and the city of Heropolis. Uh, For example, one uh, one aqueduct brought water six miles from Colossae, where the water was very cold and refreshing and good to drink. Another aqueduct brought water from Heropolis, 
which was famous for its underground hot springs where people went to sit in the water for medicinal purposes to bring comfort to their aching bodies. However, what they discovered in transporting the water through six miles or so of stone pipes was that the water from both sources, by the time it arrived, guess what temperature it was? Lukewarm. Now, maybe lukewarm's not so bad. Maybe one of the reasons that I've just about given up on drinking coffee is I get a cup of coffee and I sit it on my desk and I get busy and I forget about it. And then about 45 minutes, hour and a half later, I decide to take a big drink and I take a big drink of lukewarm coffee. Now, I know some of you drink iced coffee and some of you can drink lukewarm coffee and it's no problem, but coffee is not intended to be drank lukewarm. It makes it literally want to spew out of my mouth. It's awful. Now, I want you to look at what the Lord says. First of all, his own character, the character of the Lord in verse 14. And to the angel of the church of the Laodicean write, these things says the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. The Lord anticipates the response of the reader who would say to the Lord, who are you and why should I do as you say? Well, in effect, is exactly what the Pharaoh said in his response to Moses when Moses came and said, Jehovah God has said that you shall let my people go. And, Moses, and Pharaoh's response is, who is God that I should heed or obey his voice? Here Jesus says, I am the beginning. I am the one. He says, first of all, that he is the Amen. When Jesus declares that he is the amen, he, he means he is God's final word, a sure and steadfast foundation on which our faith is firmly secured. As the amen, his assessment of the church is the true and final one. It doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. It doesn't matter what the world thinks. It only matters what God thinks about his church. He also says that he is the faithful and true witness. Obviously, he's drawing a, st- a strong contrast to the Laodiceans themselves who are faithless and false. And then he says he is the beginning of the creation of God. This is not saying that Jesus was the first created being, but rather that he is the creator of all beings. Colossians 1 16 and 17 say, for by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are, in, are on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and him all things consist. Secondly, there is the criticism of the Lord. This is the sternest of the seven letters. And it does not contain even one word of commendation. Their battles did not consist of confronting the synagogue of Satan or the Roman government or false teachers. Their spiritual battle raged within their own hearts. First of all, we have the Lord's assessment in verses 15 and 16. He says, I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. 
I could wish that you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot. Now, some today would say that's not such a bad thing, being lukewarm. In fact, since most American Christians tend to be conservative in outlook, that might even sound appealing. At least, spiritual lukewarmness does not embarrass people with a fanatical heat of grabbing some total stranger off the Walmart parking lot by the collar and asking them whether or not they're saved. At least it's not totally cold either in the lack of concern about spiritual things. It's a middle ground. And a great many American church folks like things in the middle. But apparently the Lord does not. By being neither hot nor cold, they are lukewarm, half-hearted, indifferent, unenthusiastic, mechanical, spiritless, apathetic, lackadaisical, uninterested. A lukewarm Christian then is spiritually neutral. They don't get upset about much of anything. They refuse to take a stand on moral issues. I, may th- I know that may be wrong for some people, and it may be right for other people, I'm just not going to say what I think is right or wrong. Sound fairly modern to you? They're neutral on moral affairs and they are neutral on doctrinal affairs. It's like the Civil War soldier from Kentucky. He wanted to remain neutral, so he put on the Confederate gray pants and the Union blue coat. Both sides shot at him. It's like the typical politician who says when he's asked by a member of the press about some particular stance, what is your stance on this particular issue? And his response is, well, some of my friends are for it. Some of my friends are against it. Well, what is your opinion? I agree with my friends. A failure to take any kind of a stance. Dietrich Bonhoeffer pastor who was arrested by Adolf Hitler in World War II and ultimately executed just before the end of the war, said this. He said, when they came from the Federalist, I didn't speak up. He said, when they came for the Jews, I didn't speak up. He said, when the Nazis came for the Catholics, I didn't speak up. And when they came for me, there was no one left to speak up for me. One of the greatest sins of Christianity today is the sin of silence. But the truth is that this lukewarmness is dangerous. The saints are not helped and Satan is not hindered. Righteousness was not advanced and unrighteousness was not suppressed. The Lord's judgment is found in verse 16. Some of the modern translations tend to pretty up this word. Even the old King James Version uh, seems to sidestep it a little and uses the word spew. I will spew or spit you out of my mouth. But you miss the point if you understand Jesus say that he finds something so distasteful that he spits it out. The word is more literally translated in the New King James as vomit. That's what the word means, vomit. 
an interesting historical sidelight is that if there's one thing that Laodiceans understood, it was how disgusting lukewarm could be. Remember the two aqueducts that brought the water into the city? The problem was in this six-mile trip from Colossae, the sun heated the cold water to the point that it was no longer cool and refreshing, but lukewarm and disgusting. In the same way, by the time the hot water made its way from the aqueduct from Heropolis, it had cooled off and was now only lukewarm. The historical lesson illustrates for us how the people in Laodicea became spiritually lukewarm, and it, came, it happened in two ways. Some of them had become as cold as ice toward Christ, but had warmed up to lukewarm. They attended church. They assumed they were Christians, but they never had been truly saved. Some of them had once burned as red hot for Christ, but they had allowed their surroundings to cool them off to lukewarm. They had lost their fervency. They were still saved, but they were spiritually indifferent. They had interest in spiritual things, but only if it fell into their schedules. In verse 17, we begin to look at their self-deception. And first of all, we look at what they thought. Because you say, I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing. The Laodiceans really thought that they were wealthy, but indeed they were poor. There was something about their relationship to material possessions that hindered them from being faithful to the Lord. Some have suggested that the Laodiceans interpreted their material wealth as a sign of the blessings of God, much as the adherents of the prosperity gospel of today do. They thought they had it made. Their attitude is expressed in verse 17 where they say, I don't really need anything. They had everything they needed in terms of wealth, possessions, materials, but that kept them from being totally dependent on the Lord. The sad fact is that the more they increased in material possessions, the less they feel dependent upon the provision of the Lord. What they thought is in verse 17a. In the second part of 17, we find what the truth was, and they do not know that they are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. When the Lord of the church walked among his people, he saw those who thought they were physically healthy, but they were spiritually sick because they had forgotten the peace and joy are the gifts of the Holy Spirit who lives within them. Those who thought they were emotionally happy were spiritually wretched. Those who thought they were compassionate were to be pitied. Those who thought they were material rich were spiritually bankrupt because they did not rely on the Lord to guide them in the use of those riches. They who thought they had keen insight into business deals were spiritually blind because they no longer focused on Jesus for spiritual insight and direction. And those who thought they had the financial resources to purchase the finest clothes were spiritually naked before the Lord. Since the root of the problem 
of lukewarmness is self-sufficiency, then the cure of lukewarmness can be found in an appointment with the wonderful counselor we're told about in Isaiah 9-6, and that, of course, is the Lord. We find his counsel beginning in verse 18. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in fire that you may be rich and white garments that you may be clothed that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed and anoint your eyes with eye sad that you may see and as many as I love I rebuke and chasten. So Jesus highlights the three remaining things that characterized Laodicea, their gold, their clothing, and their eye salve. He, he spoke to them of the things that they took special pride in. What the church needed could only be provided by Jesus. First of all, gold refined in fire. He tells them that there must be a, a restoration of spiritual values. He says, I, I want you to change your value system. Verse 18 says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in fire. They had plenty of gold, the kind that you use for money. But he says, I want you to get my kind of gold. I want you to change your value system. Jesus is using a totally different value system. Jesus said, a man's life does not consist of the abundance of things. A person's soul is the most valuable thing in the kingdom of God because Jesus said, once shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul. Secondly, he spoke to them about being clothed in white garments. As I said before, Laodicea was the center of, of style and fashion, known for producing this particular kind of black, glossy fabrics from the wool of an animal that had been developed by their own breeders, could, was not available anywhere else. The church of Laodicea may have been fashionably clothed in fine black garments, but Jesus says, I want to put on you white garments, white robes of righteousness. And these white clothes stand for a, <clears throat> a change of character. And then he talks to them about their They need their eyes anointed with salve. Again, as I said before, Laodicea was noted for their eye salve. But what they needed was not a physical eye salve, but a spiritual eye salve that would enable them to see spiritually. Jesus says, I want you to be able to see things differently. If you look at verse 18, he says, I want you to put on eye salve so that you can see. I want you to change your value system. I want you to see things differently. I want you to see things the way that I see things. There is a contemporary Christian song that Amy Grant sings which says, my father's eyes. I want to have my father's eyes full of compassion, seeing all the pain, knowing what you're going through and feeling it the same. Jesus says, in order for you to have a different value system, you're going to have to start looking at things differently. And fourth, finally, there is the challenge of the Lord. Jesus says in the closing portion of verse 18, Therefore, 
Be zealous and repent. Be zealous. It uses a word that means literally to be boiling. Boiling. He says, you're not cold, you're not hot, you're just lukewarm. What I want you to be is to be boiling. You might write out in the margin there this reference, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6. In that verse, Paul is talking to young Timothy, and he says, I want you to stir up the gift that is within you. But if I could give you a literal translation of that verse, it would be, again, alive, fire. Again, alive, fire. That's a picture of going to a campfire that has burned down to just a bunch of coals. They have been cold, they become cold and dark and taking a stick and stirring them up until the fire begins to flame up again. That's what God wants to do to our lives, to get us fired up, to be earnest and repent. Now sometimes, and you probably heard it said, the last words that the church gave to the church were the Great Commission. That's not strictly true. That is, the great, that is the last thing he says in the Gospels. But the last thing that Jesus says to the church is found in Revelation chapter 3. And it is a simple command. Repent. Repent. The last word that Jesus gave to the church is repent. It means change your mind, change your behavior, change your attitudes, get it right. So there's a challenge to the sinners in the congregation. He says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. You probably over the course of your life sometime have seen the picture painted by Holman Hunt. You may have seen it in Sunday school as the picture of Jesus standing outside the door, knocking on the door. You remember that he has a crown of thorns on his head and that his head is inclined as if he were listening for a welcoming response. If you look really closely at that picture, you'll discover that there is no handle on the outside of the door. There is no external, exterior door handle. The latch is on the inside and the door can only be opened from the inside. It certainly does present the fact that Christianity is unique in that its presentation of God is that God is seeking us rather than the other way around. Laodicea had everything except Christ. Now, we often use that picture evangelistically, but in reality, it was not directed evangelistically because who's he talking to? He's saying, I'm standing outside my own church knocking on the door. That's even more horrifying. He's standing outside his own church knocking. And this church, the church at Laodicea, had everything but Christ. It's a a sad picture where Christ is not within, but rather outside seeking to get in. Jesus is knocking at the door, and he is waiting to be admitted. The challenge then to the saints, to the congregation in verses 21 and 22. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne 
as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. And he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Jesus promised all who repented of their sin that they would be given the right to sit with him on his throne, a place of authority and conquest. I think it's important in closing to remember that uh, the lukewarm church of Laodicea not only existed at a historical point in the past where we can say this represented the church at this specific historical point, but also that it points to the sin of lukewarmness that has hindered the history of the church down through all the ages. And further, this letter is addressed to every church and every individual with the hope that we will examine ourselves to see if we have allowed even the beginning of lukewarmness to come in. Let's pray. Father, I presume that it is easy for us to succumb to being lukewarm. It's easy for us to seek a middle ground, but to realize that's no real service to you. We do pray that you would stir the embers of our hearts that you would give us a new passion and joy and fervency in our service for you. There's one here that doesn't know you as their personal Lord and Savior. It is our prayer, Lord, that they might come to know you tonight. May they realize that they're a sinner, just like all the rest of us, that they can't save themselves, but that Jesus has already done everything necessary for our salvation, that all we need to do is accept what Jesus has done that he's paid for our sins on the cross of Calvary. Father, stir our hearts. Help us to be what you desire. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.